Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, it's been good to pray with you and to worship with you, and now to open God's Word, which is also an act of worship, and to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about prayer, and we are going to do so from uh, Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. As you turn there, I just want to say how thankful I am that we have this week of prayer. Uh, And the reason I am is that uh, prayer obviously is to be a priority of any biblical Christian church and any biblical Christian for that matter. Uh, And by having a, a week of prayer in the rhythm of our church calendar, it keeps the priority of prayer there in sort of the culture of our church. And the goal here isn't to be a church that prays for one week. The goal is to be a church that prays for 52 weeks. And for this to be just sort of a spurring kind of week for us as a congregation. Easy answer to this question. Does God want us to pray more or less? More, right? Easy answer, more. But to ask the question, why? Like, why does God want us to pray more? And The answer to that is fairly simple. If you look at just a normal parent who wants to talk with their kids, parents want to talk with their kids. I I think about that one, there's a very powerful scene in the the old movie now, Mr. Holland's Opus, where uh, the Hollands discover that their son is deaf. And there's a very powerful scene where Mrs. Holland just screams out in despair I want to talk to my son. And that scene connects with us because we can understand the desire for a parent to talk with their children and for a child to talk with their parents. God is our Heavenly Father. What's God's heart towards us? Many things, of course, love, grace, etc. But he, he wants to talk with us. He wants to commune with us. You think about uh, that picture in the, in the Garden of Eden where God and Adam and Eve walked together freely before the fall and just enjoyed that communication together. That's what prayer is. We're communicating with our Heavenly Father. We're talking with our Heavenly Father. And it would seem normal, I think, natural, if if, if I said, hey, how would you like to talk to, and you, you know, pick your pa- favorite sports hero, or how would you like to talk and pick your favorite movie actor, or how would you like to talk to your, you know, the hero from the past? If I came to you and said, hey, how would you like to have a chance to talk with the creator of the universe, with almighty God? You would think naturally we'd be like, oh, I would love to do that, right? But here's where prayer gets wonky in the sinner's heart because what would seem to be a great privilege that we would all want to do and would take every opportunity to do it, somehow in our wiring as sinners, we struggle in this area of prayer. We can go to God anytime, but if we think about like the week that we've lived, how often did we do it? And, and why not? It was the same in Jesus' day. There was lots of praying going on. The, the Jews practiced prayer to this day. If you go to uh, Jerusalem and you've seen that picture there of the Western Wall of the Temple Mount, all those people are there. What do they all do? They're all praying, right? And I've been there, and they're just praying, 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 kind of doing this. The prayer is very much a part of the Jewish 
uh, culture, and it was in the first century. But Jesus' disciples had never heard anybody pray like him. Never. They grew up hearing prayers, hundreds, thousands of prayers offered themselves as well. But when Jesus prayed, it was so different. And it caused them, at least on one occasion, to come to, to, them, to Jesus and say, hey, can you teach us to pray like that? Because we've never heard anything like it. Teach us to pray. And I think there is that sense in all of our hearts. I mean, none of us feel adequate in our prayer life. None of us do. I don't. And the opportunity to learn and to, to, to be taught about how to pray, we can sort of echo that disciple uh, desire. Jesus teaches pray. If Jesus prayed a prayer right now and said, hey, I'm going to teach a class on Wednesday on prayer, we'd all show up. That's how powerful his prayers were. Like, wow, I'd love to be able to talk with God like that. And so the disciples came to him and said, teach us to pray. So this week of prayer, what we're going to do is we are going to look at one phrase, actually two phrases, okay? Two phrases. This week is one of them. Next Sunday is the other one, okay? So we're going to kind of frame the week of prayer from Jesus' model prayer, your kingdom come, next week is your will be done. Okay? Your kingdom come, next week is your will be done. So I'd like to read uh, this longer section here of Jesus' teaching on prayer, and I'd like to ask you to stand today for the reading of God's word. Here's Jesus' teaching on prayer, chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who, is, who sees in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There is a lot here about prayer. I think it's striking in the Lord's, uh, or in the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus talks about more about prayer in his teaching than about a lot of other important things, fasting and adultery and murder and you know these other things. He gives a little bit, little bit, little bit, but he gets to prayer, he slows down, and he gives a long teaching on prayer. So what does he say here very quickly? He says, don't try to impress people when you pray. Don't try to use big words, these thous and you know, hitherto's, uh, when you pray, because you're not praying to God. You never talk that way normally. You're not praying to God when you talk like that. Talk like you talk. God knows when you're faking it, and so do people generally. Don't try to pray to impress people, he says. He also says here, beware of mindless repetition. 
Don't just say words, you know, that you, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, that my soul to keep. Pray that every night. Or if I, should, if I die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. That was my prayer until I was like 12. Actually, 32. But <laughs> bless mommy, daddy, Stevie, Barbie, Scotty, Terry, amen. I prayed that every night before I went to bed. Uh, pretty mindlessly repeating it. Might have created a habit, which was good. But when we just sort of say words and repeat them, God already knows what we need. We don't have to keep saying it and saying it and saying it and saying it. He knows it before we pray. So just say it once. That's enough. And then you have this model prayer here from Jesus. It's typically known as the Lord's Prayer, which I think is unfortunate because uh, the Lord's Prayer, I would point to John 17 as the real Lord's Prayer. This is more of like the disciples' prayer or the Christian's prayer. It's a model prayer. It's training wheels prayer. This is like kindergarten, first grade, kind of you just want to know sort of structure how to pray. Pray like this. He never intended it to be mimicked or just sort of mindlessly quoted per his previous comment. These words are very familiar. I happened to see last night the, uh, the president's wife began a big speech by quoting the Lord's Prayer. Even to this day in 2017, it's part of our culture somehow. We've said it so many times, and maybe you've said this hundreds and hundreds of times, but do you know what it means? And specifically today, when it says, your kingdom come, do you know what that means? It's a very powerful statement. So, my goal today is to unpack that in a way that I hope enlivens our desire to pray the way that Jesus taught us to pray. So here's my outline, it's very complicated. Point number one, your. Point number two, kingdom. Point number three, any guesses? Are you with me today? Okay. Come, that's right, come. So let's begin by talking about your. If you notice the structure of the Lord's Prayer, what jumps out immediately is that the petitions have this decisive change that happen uh, in verse 11, okay? Give us this day our daily bread. What is that change? That's the first time in the model prayer that you talk about yourself, right? The first half of the prayer is all about who? God, God, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I don't think that's just an accident that Jesus structures it this way. The first half is all about me talking to God about God. And then I get talking to God about me. Now that said, I think there's a place for that like rushing into the throne room of God and saying, God, I need your help right now. Sort of that Nehemiah prayer like uh, he prayed when he was before the king. There's a place for that. And many of us invoke that on a regular basis like, oh, I need your help right now, God. You know, or, or you feel guilty like I go, okay, your, 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 now do the thing I really want to say. I think there's just a place, to be honest, like a child rushing into daddy's office or whatever and saying, I'm hungry, <laughs> you know, okay. But as we grow and in the regular pattern, the regular rhythm of our prayer life, we ought to begin with God in our prayers. And we see that here in 
this example. God loves it when we talk to him about him. You say, well, like what? How about just giving thanks to him? Okay, give thanks in all things for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I think it's 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. Okay, he, he, he loves it when we say thank you. Thank you for this, thank you for that. And by the way, you know, with, if you have young children, you know, you hear them pray, it's so cute. Lord, I thank you for my dolls and I thank you for um, candy and these kinds of things. But if you're like, if you've been a Christian for like 15 years and you're still thanking God for your dolls, there's something wrong, okay? Why? Because as we grow, we ought to come to understand that the dolls and the candy are the superficial things. The really significant things to give thanks to God about have to do with who he is and his character and what he has done in redemptive history and how he has worked providentially to bring me into that kingdom. And to pray, pray, pray big, like thank God for creating the universe. Thank God for his amazing power and wisdom. Thank God that he is a self-revealing God. You say, well, how did God reveal himself? He revealed it in the world, he revealed it in his word, and he revealed himself in his son. Thank God for that kind of thing. Maybe, you know, pick your favorite verse and just think through that and thank God for what the truth that's in that verse. Thank God for the people God used to bring you to faith in Christ. Okay, get past the candy and get to the big things. Talk to God about God. Give thanks to him. Rehearse before God his mighty acts. So many of the Psalms basically do that. You did this and you created the stars and you did that and all that. That's a great example of how to pray and to get ourselves off of, over ourselves and onto the big things that really, really matter. So your here teaches us that. Your kingdom come. Your is a word, it's a word of humility. It's a word that acknowledges that my, my basic reference point is not myself. I begin with you, God. I begin thinking about you, praying to you, praying about you, giving thanks to you, worshiping you, adoring you. Start with God in your prayers. And, and by the way, this just reflects, doesn't it, the fundamental shift that salvation creates in us anyway. We live totally selfishly. It's, it, we're, not, we're not about ours or yours. We're all about me. That's before I meet Jesus. After I come to faith in Christ, there is now this dawning reality in my life that it's not all about me. This is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And, I, and that your reflects that, that my basic starting point is no longer me. And aren't you glad it's not? Amen. Okay. This is God-centeredness. This is a God-wordness. This is less of me and more of you. He must increase, I must decrease. Your is the first word. Second point, kingdom. Kingdom. Now some of you, I, I suspect maybe as we've been doing this whole series on the kingdom, really this entire school year, have thought to yourself, okay, enough about the kingdom. We've heard so much about the kingdom. Let's get on to something else. Is it really that big of a deal? When you, yes, A. And secondly, when it comes to prayer, Jesus notes in his prayer the kingdom. 
And even that tag that we, I think, draw from Luke where it says, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. What do you find in there? Kingdom. It's the only word repeated is kingdom. So yes, this is a really important biblical truth. And I hope a word that we're getting a little more familiar with around here, comfortable talking about. I always feel this obligation to go back and define it again. What is the kingdom? Let's make sure that we understand what this kingdom is. And the reason that we have to understand the kingdom of God is that it's one, one reason is that it helps us understand the kingdom of man. The kingdom of man is the kingdom that you and I were born in. This is the, the kingdom that we've, the only one that we've ever known until we become a Christian. This is the, the values of this world that we live in. It's the sort of the ethos. It's kind of the way of thinking and looking at things. It's all that we've ever known. We're like the fish, right? Do we know we're wet? No. Or does a fish know when he's dry? Is that, how's it go? Does a fish know he's wet? That's what it is, okay? He wouldn't know what dry feels like because he's always been wet, and we're like that. We're, we're the always wet kingdom of man people, and we can't even hardly conceive of something, some world that is other than what I see in the water around me. I'm pushing that metaphor as far as I can, okay? But there is another, there is another world. But the world, that, the kingdom that we live in is also called in the Bible the kingdom of Satan. And we live in a world where there is this massive conflict of kingdoms that has been raging ever since way back when in the heart of Satan there birthed this rebellion against Almighty God. The kingdom of Satan began in Satan's heart as he rebelled against God and that infection spread to some massive host of angels as well who all fell with them into God's judgment and God cast Satan out of heaven and down to this earth and Satan quickly put his eyes on Adam and Eve, the image bearers of Almighty God in this beautiful universe that God had made, and said, I am going to infect this as well. And, and, she, and he went to Eve, and he tempted her with the same sort of prideful rebellion, and Eve through Eve to Adam. And when Adam and Eve fell, then this entire universe came under the realm of Satan. He is the ruler of this world. In fact, it's just some examples of what he's called in the Bible. He is the prince of this world. He is the God of this world. He is the ruler of this world. It's called the dominion or the kingdom of Satan. Now, we don't know that like the fish doesn't know. But we are living in a, in a world where this, this is the real story. It's not, you know, it's not this nation versus this nation, or this people group versus this people group. They're the sideshow. The real show, the real battle here is between these two kingdoms. And you remember when Satan tempted Jesus even, said, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. And, and Jesus doesn't go, you got no right. You don't even own those in the first place. He doesn't say he can't do that. It was a legitimate offer if you would bow down and worship him. Again, we don't realize that this is really what's going on, because it's all we've ever known. But this is the real story. And these kingdoms are in conflict. We all have a conscience that whispers to us that maybe there's a different kingdom, maybe there's a better kingdom, a more beautiful kingdom. 
This world is not always this way, this world of deception and murder and rape and the sex industry and all these things that we're inside we're repulsed by when we hear that they've, that they've happened. And that conscience is whispering to us, there's another kingdom and there's another king. Something in us, it hearkens to us. We, we long for this other place without all of the pain and the sorrow and death in this world. And that other place that our conscience is whispering to us about is the kingdom of God. It is the reign of God in this world. It is God's reign expressed through the work of Jesus in this world. When Jesus came to this earth, he brought the kingdom with him. And he went around and said, the kingdom of God is at hand. He established the kingdom as a real entity in this world by virtue of his death and his burial and his resurrection from the dead. He overcame sin, which was what uh, Satan used to bring it here in the first place. And he overcame death, which is Satan's ultimate weapon against sinners. He overcomes both of those, and he establishes a new kingdom in this world. And the last words he says before he leaves is, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Now go, therefore, and make disciples." Go now and take this kingdom message and take this kingdom power that I am granting to you. Go and make disciples. And as they become disciples, the kingdom of God spreads in this world. Jesus now ruling in the human heart. A kingdom that expresses itself strangely. Love. Kindness, truth. It's totally different than the kingdom of Satan, which is self and pride and anger and violence. It's the restoration of all that that other kingdom brought into the universe. It's the kingdom of God. And we are citizens, friends. If you are a Christian here today, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And we live yet now in this kind of dualism, citizens of the kingdom of God living in the kingdom of Satan. And we long, as we see this world just spiraling in all of its uh, inward despair, we long for the restoration of what God had originally. We long for God's kingdom to come here in fullness. We We are so joyful inwardly that we have the kingdom, even as the world around us is crumbling And we long for that kingdom to come in all of its fullness and all of its glory. And that is the essence of this phrase, your kingdom come. I long for your kingdom, God. I long for your glory and your purposes to be accomplished in this world. I long for evil and justice to be thwarted. I seek your kingdom and your righteousness That's what I'm really all about. I long to see one true King Jesus enthroned in this universe and all of his glorious purposes done here. I am really longing for your kingdom, not mine. I am longing for your kingdom, not Bethel Church's. I am longing for your kingdom, not Indiana's. I am longing for your kingdom, not the United States of America. I long for your kingdom, oh God. Your kingdom come. 
And you see, when I can sincerely pray that, I am praying God's agenda and God's purposes to be done in this world. I am moving my agenda towards God's in acknowledging that yours trumps mine. So that it's not in this prayer, it's not about me getting more of what I want. It is about me wanting more what he wants. Did you anybody write that down? Write this down, okay? I see, do you got pens? Anybody got pens or pencils going? You wanna know what this is about? It's not about me getting more what I want, but me wanting more what he wants. And that is also part of your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, it's so many of us, we go to prayer and we're like, God, here's my agenda, here's my priorities, I ask you to bless it. And real prayer is the opposite of that. It's like, okay, let me remind myself what your priorities are, and God, I ask that you would help me to want that more. That's prayer. We get it backwards. He's not Santa Claus. He's not your rich uncle. He is almighty God, and he has already decreed all of human history. This is all according to his purpose and plan, and prayer is about me aligning with that. Tough group to get amen from. Every sentence there was worth an amen. I'll assume it's conviction that you're feeling because I think maybe I'm feeling a little myself as I say these things. And this prayer, it, 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 it reminds us where our emphasis should be. Less of me, more of you. More of your kingdom. That's what I want. Okay? So your kingdom third point come come the greek word here it's in the imperative okay and so that would insinuate an exclamation point okay it's not your kingdom come it's your kingdom come there's a there's a longing to it there is a a, a sort of a heart cry with that. It's not like, yeah, it'll get here when you want. No, we want it now. It's a petition. It's, it's a crying out to God. We want your kingdom now. We want it to come now. Now you might say, well, wait a second. I thought you said the kingdom was established when Jesus was here. Why would I pray for it to come if it's been here for 2,000 years now? Well, that is true. The kingdom of God is already here. Jesus brought it. Again, remember his words, final words, all authorities on, in heaven and earth has been granted unto me. Go and make disciples. So that means that it's, it's not like we're uh, fans in the stands. It's not like we're at a soccer game or a ball game of some kind where we're like, we're hoping our team will win. And we're like going, come on, come on, come on. Ever say that, parents, sometimes? Make the basket, come on, win the game. It's not like we're going to God, come on. Why? Because Jesus already won the victory. He won the victory when he died on the cross. And that's why that cross is the symbol of Christianity. It is a sign of victory that Jesus has already accomplished. So we are not cheering God on and hoping that our side wins. That's not what come means at all. What come means is that we are acknowledging that while we live in a time where Jesus has already won the victory, the fullness of his 
authority and power and glory has not yet come into this world. And we as Christians living between the victory that he won at the cross and the final victory, we can't wait for the final victory. We can't wait for the, full, the fullness to come. And so when we pray, it's on our minds that we're living in this world with all this junk and all this pain, but it's not always going to be this way, and we want that day to be today. And we say, your kingdom come. Come right now. Come as quick as you can. And come here. It's, it's, a, it's a confident expectation. It is a longing. It is a desiring for God's purposes to be accomplished in the world, and oh, by the way, in my own life. It is, it is personal. God's kingdom is here, and God's kingdom is here, right here in my, in my heart. And we long for the day when Jesus will return, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That moment is coming, and we can't wait for that. Like, that's going to be so great when the other kingdom is totally, finally destroyed, and the only kingdom that there is is the kingdom of God, and we get to be citizens of it forever. Okay? That's going to be awesome. So we long for that, right? And Jesus says, pray for it. Pray your kingdom come. The last words of the Bible, even so come Lord Jesus. And I just wonder today, if you have that sort of longing in your heart, and you say, no, I don't think about it, but man, am I tired of this world, and the, my family, and my job, and my neighbors, and the brokenness of America, and you know, all this sort of ranting all the time about how terrible things are in the world and in my world. Really, what are you going to do about it, and what's the solution? The solution is for the king to come. And the Christian's heart prays and longs that it would happen and happen very soon. That all of this could be restored. All of this could be made right and pure and beautiful. All could be to the glory of God. Now it is not just the consummating kingdom that we want to come. We also want that kingdom in the now. And remember, that's the tension that we have with the kingdom of God. It is here already, but it's not yet what it's going to be. But that doesn't mean that it isn't here right now. And when I pray your kingdom come, I am certainly praying that future kingdom come, that glorious fulfillment moment. But I am also praying, I am also praying for God's kingdom to come now. This is a missions cry, okay? When I pray for God's kingdom to come, I am praying that God would make gospel witness effective all over the world. I am praying for every preacher and every Sunday school teacher and every elder and deacon and leader, and I'm praying for every church and every chapel and every little church meeting in a basement and meeting out on a field. I'm praying for every single Christian in the world. I'm praying, God, may your kingdom come. May you empower your work in this world today. I want it now. I want to see your glory now. I want to see your gospel effective now. And not only am I, am I praying for all of this 
these outworkings of God's kingdom now, I am praying about myself. I am saying, when I say your kingdom come, I am saying, use me, God, today for your glory. Use me to bring your kingdom blessings to my family, to my neighbors, to my coworkers, to the students that I go to school with, to the people that I interact with. God, I want to be a vehicle of your kingdom coming, that great commission being accomplished. I want to be a part of that today. I will tell you, we are abject hypocrites when we pray for God's kingdom to come and we don't lift a personal finger to help accomplish it. We give no personal money to help in God's work here or around the world. We invest no time or effort to help. We just pray, your kingdom come. We fail to realize it is a personal pledge. You pray that in the morning, your kingdom come. You're saying, today, in this day, I'm going to be, I'm like on mission today. I see this day as a day that I can be a part of your kingdom coming. As one man said it, this is so short, simple, and poignant. If we pray that way, we must live that way. If we pray that way, we must live that way. Remember what Jesus said? Don't be like the hypocrites who stand up in the marketplace and offer these tremendous prayers, like the Pharisees, and we all know what they were like. They prayed one way and they lived another way. God doesn't answer those prayers. That's not real praying. Real praying is when the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart are both pleasing to you, O God. It is when I am, as best I can, and none of us do this perfectly, but in my heart, I am wanting, I am desiring what I pray. God, keep me from sin today. Lead me not into temptation today. God, I pray, I look to you to provide daily bread today. God, I pray today that thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever today. And now, in my day, I'm going to try to live consistent with what I have just prayed. That's prayer. That's my heart and my words coming together. And that is what we want. Kevin DeYoung gives the analogy about the kingdom of God. He says it's, it's like the sun on a cloudy day. When the, when the sun comes out on a cloudy day, uh, we don't think that somehow the sun <clears throat> suddenly arrived. We understand that the sun has always been there. We will say the sun broke through, or we might say that the sun came out. And the kingdom of God is like that. It is here, it is now, it is there, it is in power, it is in glory. We're not, we're not bringing the kingdom of God anywhere, but we are hoping and praying that it would shine forth, that the people with blindness who can't see that glory like the sun on a cloudy day, that they would be able to see it and that they would receive it and that they would believe. Your kingdom come. May your kingdom's light shine through. Help people see. By the way, help me see that all the world may be filled with your glory. Your kingdom come. Now, when does God answer that prayer? When does God answer that prayer? And he does so in so many ways. He answers that prayer through the faithful testimony of the believing wife 
to her non-Christian husband. The kingdom comes. It comes, and he answers that prayer, when the prodigal son returns home. He answers that prayer when feuding Christians make peace and forgive each other. He answers that prayer when a man is freed from addiction or porn by the power of Christ. He answers that prayer when he is honored to heal as a display of his power and glory in this world. And he answers that prayer ultimately and spectacularly when a sinner bows their knee and believes in Jesus as Savior. That is all answer to the prayer, okay? Your kingdom come. But there is an ultimate answer to that prayer. Think of how that has been prayed over and over and over again. Millions and millions of times that prayer has been prayed. Your kingdom come. Someday that prayer will be answered in a most spectacular way. And Revelation describes this moment. Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's the ultimate answer to the prayer. It comes, the kingdom comes when the king comes. Okay? When the king comes. And until then, we pray, we pray, we pray, we celebrate every indication of God's kingdom being seen and worshipped and embraced in this world, and that's uh, in a thousand little ways and some big ways as well. We pray for more of it. We want more of it. I think of our church, so much, so much wonderful fruit that God has done over 80 years in our church. Are we done yet? Are we saying, oh, well, we don't pray your kingdom come anymore because we've sort of arrived now. No, we keep praying your kingdom come. That influence, that salt, that light, that seed, that mustard seed, God, we want that to continue to grow, to continue to reach more and more people, to continue to influence in more and more ways. We continue, you get that? Your kingdom come is a saying we are not done yet. We're not done yet. God has more to do someday and today. And we long for that. God, may your kingdom come. May your purposes be done. May your glory be accomplished and spread in this world. We want more of it. And we pray for the day when the king and his kingdom have fully come. Your kingdom Amen. Amen. Amen.